You're listening to the All Things Good Sports Podcast, a product of All Things Good Company. Hey, before we get this thing started, I just wanted to touch base about Anthony Davis. We did talk about him in this podcast and whether or not the Pelicans should trade him now or in this offseason. But of course, we recorded this podcast on Sunday afternoon and on Monday morning. The report came out that he had requested a trade. So just an update on what we've learned about Anthony Davis' situation so far. He has requested a trade, but he has told the front office of the Pelicans that he will honor his contract and he will play out at least to the end of this season if they cannot find a good trade. That being said, he has warned them so that they can do what's best for their organization going forward. Rumors have the Lakers and the Celtics as the top trade candidates, but as we mentioned in this podcast, the Celtics would have to include Kyrie Irving in any trade right now. It has also been noted that the Celtics are not a high-priority destination for Anthony Davis, so I don't know if that throws any wrenches in their plans about trading for him, but they might want to think about that before giving up anyone in addition to Kyrie Irving, such as Jason Tatum. Anthony Davis has also recently been fined $50,000 for his agent, Rich Paul, requesting a trade publicly. We hear players request trades every year, but apparently the team is allowed to leak whatever they want, but the player isn't allowed to leak anything. So I'm not sure how I feel about that. He did definitely lower the return that they could get by taking away some of their leverage in releasing that statement, but I don't think that he deserved to be fined for that. It seems to be the industry standard to request a trade the year before your contract ends. So we will update you guys on Instagram and on social media about anything that happens with Anthony Davis. So stay tuned and enjoy the podcast. This is the first episode of season two. This is Jeff. This is Rico, and we have a guest star on the air, Jeremy France. He's a former Division One athlete at the University of Maine who graduated in 2017 along with us. Jeremy, how are we doing? Hey, we're doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good That's to have you on, Jeremy. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me for season two, episode one. That means a lot. Absolutely. So it's good to have you on. We have a lot of new listeners because we recently switched to a different podcast host. So we just want to give a a quick rundown of what we do. We are ATG Sports, stands for All Things Good. We like to cover just positive stories, and we try not to put a lot of hate into our episodes and our analysis, and we don't try to troll people, and we keep politics out of it. We just talk about sports, and we get right down to business. NFL. We'll get right into it. We'll get into the NFL and the Super Bowl upcoming. Patriots versus Rams. First of all, I just want to take a quick second to acknowledge Tom Brady's greatness. I mean, can we get a round of applause for Tom Brady? Let's go. Woo, yeah. Yeah, this is simply incredible, the journey he's been on and you know, Belichick from the start and just being able to have another Super Bowl with the Rams versus the Patriots. It's just crazy. We saw a, uh, a stat recently that we actually posted on our Instagram page. It's that from the last time the Pats and the Rams met in the Super Bowl, which was 2002, 
there's only one player that's left in the league. That's Tom Brady and everybody else on offense and defense has been retired for at least five years. Adam Benatari is still in the league, but he's special teams. But all the players that are out there running around and competing physically have been gone for five years, and that's incredibly impressive. And we'll see how much longer this guy can keep it going, but it's amazing. That's amazing. That's an amazing step. Brady has been told year in and year out by Max Kellerman and Stephen A. This is why (laughs) – this is what started these podcasts, and we started with All Things Good. We listened to Mm. Max Kellerman, Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp, always put down people that, I mean, for instance, Max Kellerman's been saying father time's going to kick into effect here for Tom Brady for the last five seasons, literally. You can go on YouTube and for the last I mean, yeah, eventually, years, eventually he'll be right. <laughs> yeah, But he'll be so wrong like seven times first. The second he's right, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be the, right. the, oh my gosh, Max Kellerman is the smartest man on the earth. <laughs> yeah. It's inevitable that your physical talent, you can't do the same things as you get older. Your body starts breaking down and it can't perform at the same level as it has when you're in your 20s and 30s. So obviously one year he's going to be right. And we're just here to say that, no, I mean, for the last years, Father Time hasn't kicked in. He's still been able to perform. And same thing with Drew Brees. Drew Brees is getting up there. He's almost at age 40 as well, too. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Drew Brees, who, if we're being honest, he really should be playing in this game. Yes, also mm-hmm. that's true, yeah. Well, I, I want to bring up one thing about the Patriots run that they've had is that it's weird when you think about the all-time great runs that teams have had in professional sports, and nobody has had quite the run like this in the NFL. I would compare it similar to the Spurs in the NBA, but usually you don't see a few years of championships and then 10 years of no championships and then four out of five years in the Super Bowl again, trying to win their third championship. I think it's it's kind of weird that there was that gap in the middle. I mean, they went to those two Super Bowls against the Giants and lost, but you couldn't have said over that time span that they were far and away the best team year in and year out. And I think that's part of the reason why people have doubted Brady and that they've thought they started thinking before they went back on this run that he was done because it had been so long. And then now that he's back, it just sounds ridiculous to say that. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's a big gap, and it's, you know, you don't see that type of recovery either. But, I mean, just, you know, the Spurs, yes, maybe. But, I mean, this is just this is just complete domination. And, you know, it's more not just physical. It's mental. It's strategic. And it's it's absolutely beautiful, beautiful sports that we're, we're witnessing. And, you know, so it's, it's fun to watch, definitely. And especially right. in the NFL with the physicality that you see, with the injuries, just to have mm-hmm. him be able to sustain his excellence for this long without having a career-ending injury at this point or just continuous injuries wear him down to the point that he had to retire because you don't see people able to compete at the highest level physically that long. That's awesome. So let's just move on to the game. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Pats and the Rams and – what each team can do to game plan against the other. So we'll start out with the Patriots. Uh, Jeremy, I think you were talking about the the offensive line, the defensive line in the trenches for the Patriots. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the advantage that the Patriots need to get off right up the bat, right out of the gate. You know, we showed it last week against Kansas City and where we held the ball for eight and a half minutes. I mean, that eight and a half minutes felt so long watching on TV, but I can only imagine how long it felt for those guys up front. I mean, just play after play after play, grinding and grinding and grinding, and nobody touched Brady. I mean, if we can do that against wow. Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue, I mean, 
I mean, right out of the gate, that's huge. You know, I think that's where the game's going to be won, hopefully, is with the big boys up front. Yeah, and similar to what the offensive line did, by the way, just noting that Kansas City, who has been one of the highest sack teams all year, had zero sacks against the Patriots last week. So credit to those guys on the O-line. But similar to the offensive line, they are a big part of the run game. And the Patriots ran the ball down the throat of Kansas City last week. They ran the ball 40 times, and each player that ran the ball averaged less than four yards per carry. So the way that it wears down the the defense and the way that they take so much time off the clock keeping the defense on the field is they get that short chunk yardage. Their longest Mm -hmm. rush of the whole game, I believe, was 14 yards. So I think the fact that you get four yards at a time very consistently, whether it's Sony Michelle running it up the middle, Rex Burkhead spotting him, or if it's James White catching the ball similar to what the run game does uh, for five yards. I think that just kills them to get down to third down and get to the point where they think that they can get off the field and they put all their energy into that play. And then suddenly it's right back to square one first down and they have to start over do that five, six times on one drive. So I think if they are able to run the ball, that's one benefit that the rushing game gives them. So I think they should definitely obviously use Tom Brady, but stay with the run game out of the gate and try to tire the defense down. Yeah, I think one of the crazy interesting things was watching Devlin on the first drive, too. I mean, he got four or five plays right on that first drive, and Mm. every single play was at least a five-yard gain. I think that, I mean, he's just, when they put a power eye right there, that's an absolute beautiful thing for the Patriots because, I mean, he sets a hole, and it's like, boom, it's like a truck can drive through that thing, and it's uh, you can just expect it. You can feel it when he gets in the game. Yeah, when they get in the I formation this year and you have Devlin up front and then you also have Gronk blocking, that's been a dynamic duo. And then also the fact that Devlin, you can put the ball in his hands on the goal line, he can run it in. And I don't know if I've ever seen a fullback catch so many balls as he has this year. It's maybe (laughs) once a game, but just the fact that you have to guard him is crazy. Gronk's been blocking for us. I mean, he's been a huge impact. He's been one of our best blockers. I mean, I know he only got one catch. I think it was uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, Kansas City. That big catch uh, down the sideline at the end of last game, they don't win the game if he doesn't make that. So uh, you're right. Most of his – He's been walking for us a lot. He's been a prolific pass catcher his whole career. And then this year, it's kind of shocking to see the drop-off in his statistical production. But all year, even if he doesn't have quite the wheels that he used to, he's still arguably the best blocking tight end in the league. So I think the fact that the rushing game and Sonny Michelle – has done so well this year, I think. Don't forget that Gronk's a big part of that. What we were talking about with the Rams and how they can attack the Patriots, the Patriots have struggled all year with quick running backs who can catch the ball and take it and run. And you saw that last week with Damian Williams. He got three touchdowns for the Chiefs. And a lot of that was quick runs around the outside, wheel routes going up the sideline, slants up the middle, Those are the kind of things that have hurt the Patriots. Now, Todd Gurley is at full health. That's probably going to be an issue for the Pats defense. But one thing that we've been seeing for the last three weeks is that he's basically been splitting time with C.J. Anderson, who has been phenomenal, but he's not someone who's going to step outside and line up and and go catch a slant route. Meatball. There's no way. He's a meatball. Absolutely. And we've all played Madden 
and it's whenever someone does that halfback split screen, it's like a little cheat code in Madden, and that right there is what what kills us. Those split screens, just a back coming, quick back coming out of the backfield, and getting the ball, you know, probably at the line of scrimmage, maybe a little bit further, and then he just has all day to run, and you mm-hmm. know that has killed us for sure. So I mean, if C.J. Anderson runs, you know, the majority of the hikes, we should be solid there. But I mean, if Todd Gurley's getting in the game, you know, on first, second, and third down, then we may have some problems. Yeah, that's a great point. Agreed. And I just do want to point Agreed. out, uh, Caleb was checking the injury report and C.J. Anderson did come up limited. Todd Gurley was not listed on there. So they have said publicly that he's not injured, but there's been a lot of speculation that really there may be something going on because he was right. on pace for most of the year to break the touchdown record, and that's receiving and rushing. And yep. well that's not the there. type of guy you usually see split time with. I mean, C.J. Anderson was cut from two different teams this year, but – He's been phenomenal with uh, yeah. with the Rams. He's had some multiple multiple hundred yard games in the postseason, which is just amazing to ask out of a guy that's been, like you said, cut from two different teams. Rico, do you want to talk about how Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods might affect the Patriots' defense? Yeah, well, we know what Brandon Cooks could do for us. We could stretch the defense out a lot, and you weren't able to blitz as much and send a safety because you have a guy that's a deep ball threat that can torch you pretty much at basically any play. And Robert Woods is a similar weapon as Brandon Cooks. So you have two guys out there that I don't know what how fast they ran the combine. I'd probably like to say right around 4-4 speed easily, each of them. Yeah, I think and, uh, Cooks was a 4-3, between 4-3 and 4-4. Okay. So they both lightning yeah. speed. Mm-hmm. Right. Was, and so yeah. to have two of those guys stretch you out on either end, it makes it tough for the defensive schemes for the Patriots to allow our defensive backs to try and go one-on-one with those guys, especially when we have Jackson, who is getting what two or three holding crucial holding penalties. Yeah, JC Jackson had towards, yeah, JT Jackson, number 27. I know he's a rookie and he's going up against uh, some of the best in the league, but that's uh, going to be a lot harder against a Brandon Cooks and a Robert Woods than the previous matchups we've had. I mean, Travis Kelsey is a force we reckon with, yes, but he's not going to beat us vertically up the field. He's more of a, a lateral or a slant guy that can cut off any defensive backs yeah and that's a a good point about cornerbacks because stefan gilmore got first team all pro but their second corner has not been able to sustain that production or even close to that they've had jason mccordy and then jc jackson has come in and they've liked what he's done but he had a couple of bad penalties last week so i'd be scared about him doing that go ahead jeremy yeah there's two things one I, it'd be interesting to see. I, I, I don't recall how many catches did Tyreek Hill have last week. It was just the one catch. It was a one right yeah. down the down the sideline yeah. for about forty yards. Thirty. We did catch. a pretty solid job. I think we did a pretty solid job there uh, containing him definitely. And secondly, it's about J.T. Jackson, number twenty-seven on the Patriots. I think that this, uh, you know, this is just a little bit about what the Patriots do. They are entrusting a rookie with the job of a veteran and no matter what, this will pay dividends for the Patriots' defense later on. And that's like exactly to go back to your original point, Jeff, about the Patriots' domination over the past you know, 20 years is they do stuff like this all the time where they just mm-hmm. set up rookies right. to succeed. And you don't see it right. anywhere else. that's true. Good point. He just got burned three, four times last week. But, I mean, I guarantee this whole week he's been grinding, trying to get better, you know, so he doesn't get burned this next time. So um, I think that that speaks – a ton about the Patriots. Yep, and that's similar to, I mean, go back to Malcolm Butler. He had an ugly exit from the team, but when you look yeah. at that first Super Bowl where he had the interception that sealed the deal against the Seahawks, he was not 
the starting corner all year. He was their third or fourth corner, and Belichick put faith in him, and he went out there and he got the job done. So maybe that same kind yep. of thing can be said this time. So many magical moments to build off the Patriots scheme that they have. What we've seen time in, I don't know if everyone else around the league has noticed it, but as being from New England, we've seen it more often, is how much the scheming that Bill Belichick creates always takes away the number one threat that the other team always has in their team. They're always able to come up with a scheme, like you guys said last week, where we held Tyreek Hill to an insane just one catch, where I guess all the other teams he's played this year, he's been able to go off against them and nobody's been able to slow them down. And this mm-hmm. happens every year in the playoffs. They always talk bell check. It might not be in the first half, but they make adjustments throughout the game or they make adjustments coming into the game um, to prepare for taking away the number one threat that the opposing team has. Did you see that play um, where the Patriots were on fourth and one and they kept the offense out there and there was 14 seconds left in the play clock and uh, Bill Belichick kept Brady out there and with 14 seconds left he brings out Allen and in 14 seconds, or maybe it might have been 15 seconds, they set up the punt team, and Kansas City still had 12 guys on the field. After mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. They, they got a, the Patriots got a penalty for delay a game, but, I mean, they were like one second away from getting that first down just off of that right there. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. Like that type that's of true. You're right, Caleb. Yeah, yeah that's the, the little things that, that you'll learn over the years, and we'll see if McVay can be that next version of Belichick yeah, or the, looks the like, next yeah, age yeah. version. Yep. Not this game, though. Could very well be. <laughs> yeah, it might start next year. Yeah, next year. Make very sorry. Let's finish off Super Bowl by giving some predictions. You uh, you want to start it out, Rico? What do you think is going to be the final score? What do you think is going to take uh, home the well, trophy? Last last thing I checked, uh, the biggest odds of the Pats were favored by one and a half points. But the, when, the, when the line started, when the Super Bowl first matchup was uh, created after the Pats won, the line was that uh, I think it was the Rams were actually favored by minus one. So it shifted two and a half points in the last week. And I think I'm still going to have to, I mean, we're from New England, we've been New England fans. We've been put in this predicament before where there's a talented team opposing us and we're a little bit older, but the execution on the Patriots is phenomenal. I think I got to say Patriots, let's go with uh, 24 to 17. Hey, if you think that the Los Angeles Rams are only going to put up 17 points and you're going to put faith in, you're going to talk about Las Vegas after all the things Las Vegas has done to you this year. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Kel, about the execution. Um, I, uh, you know, I don't have as much faith in, in our pay, in our defense as, you know, 17 points. I think we may be able to hold them, you know, slightly under 26, maybe 28, okay. but I mean, they're fast. You know they're fast, they're quick, they they're bound to score just like the just like the Chiefs were. And you know Patriots say Patriots 32 and Rams 28. All right, yeah. I like that. That's closer to what I was AP. thinking. I'm also going to take the Patriots, and I know that Rico, me and you, we both picked the Patriots last year against the Eagles. But what it came down to in that game is what we've been seeing in the new NFL when the top teams match up. It's usually high scoring. So while I wouldn't mind seeing a 24-17 game, I'm not sure if, if that's in the cards. The one way that that happens is you look at the first half of the Patriots-Chiefs game, it was 14 nothing, and the Patriots just running the ball up the gut. And then at the end of the game, it was just throw, throw, throw from both sides of the field. So I guess you never know. It could definitely happen. But since the Patriots put up 500 yards of offense and passing in the Super Bowl last year, and I think the Eagles put up 400, I would expect 
a similar outcome this year where both teams are in the 30s. And as much as I like the Patriots, I think that the Rams are going to hold their own in this game, and it's going to be a stepping stone for them to build off of for the future. And I think the Patriots win by less than a score. I'm going to say maybe 35-32 or 35-31, and it'll probably come down to the last play, and you're going to need to hang your hat on your defense and see if they can make a stop against Jared Goff. Steven Kostowski. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna come up oh, big, man. man. He's gonna come up big. I should have said. Yep. I should have. I'm gonna change my. I'm gonna change my score to 31-28 Patriots. <laughs> that one field goal at the end, right? Yeah, it's gonna be tied at the end of the game, and Stephen Kostowski gonna come on with four seconds left. Wow, 37 yarder. You hear it now. Oh, speaking of game-winning All field right. goals, uh, the Bears just just hired a new field goal kicker, Nick Folk. <laughs> so maybe they no. won't have that the double doink next year when they need it. Oh my gosh, you're kidding. Use them. Oh. So other outcomes in the NFL, other uh, other rumors going on. Uh, the big thing going on for free agency is Antonio Brown, which going into the year, I would never have thought that he would leave the Steelers, but it seems like that's inevitable at this point. Some executives in the Steelers have come out and say that they would be shocked if he showed up to training camp, whether that means that yeah. he goes somewhere else, they trade him somewhere else, or they can't negotiate a contract and he doesn't want to show up. They aren't expecting him to be there. And there's been a lot of buzz going around about San Francisco and going to the 49ers. He supposedly followed a bunch of players on their team. I don't know how people keep up with that stuff, but he followed a bunch of players in the 49ers and he's talked to Jerry Rice and Jerry Rice has come out and promoted the signing of Antonio Brown to the front office on a radio show. He said, if you have a chance to get someone like that, a generational talent, you do it. So it seems like a match made in heaven for them. You guys see that coming to fruition? I'm pretty set. I have my side set that I think Antonio Brown is and Le'Veon Bell are definitely out of pit. And Jimmy G should be healthy next season. And I think the 49ers, I mean, why wouldn't you want to live out in San Francisco if you're Antonio Brown? And I know he likes getting into commercials and potentially acting, so it's a perfect place for him to thrive. So I don't see why not. He can really help that organization out a lot, get some more wins on the board. I mean, they were winning with uh, Jimmy G, but after he went down, obviously, they went rough slide. So, Yeah, they should have a high draft pick this year as well. So that yeah, they, might, so they might be I looking good, good next landing year. Spot for him. Good landing spot for him. And then Le'Veon Bell maybe end up at the Miami Dolphins recently hurt. So, yeah. I oh, wow. Okay. The, yeah. I like that. I like that. And I've also yeah, heard Le'Veon Bell linked to the Jets as well. Um, I think two – Biggest names right now for me is on defense, and it's got to be with the Cowboys, Demarcus Lawrence, and with the Vikings, Anthony Barr. Uh, mm-hmm. Both of them, I believe, have options this year to move. I think Demarcus Lawrence is more open than Anthony Barr. I think Anthony Barr wants to stay in Minnesota, but I think Demarcus Lawrence is open to if he gets a better paycheck somewhere, he may go. So that'd be an interesting name to follow. Um, I love that guy watching him on defense. His hands are mm-hmm. insane. Um, and then also, I think the Redskins QB, um, we got to follow that see Ooh. where because the Redskins do not have a QB, I don't think, because Alex Smith just got 100%, I believe, 2019. He's not playing. So. Yeah, wow. yeah, I heard that as well. Yeah. So they they might draft someone. Who knows? Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Demarcus Lawrence because earlier in the year when the Cowboys were struggling, it was brought up a lot that the Cowboys did not want to – plan to build their future around Dak Prescott so that they would have the ability 
to sign DeMarcus Lawrence. Now what they did is they went out and they signed Amari Cooper and they basically said, Dak, we're going to give you your best chance to prove yourself. Let's see if you can do it. And you know what? He went out there and he did it. So you guys know what, what starting QBs, competent starting QBs get. And you're talking in the twenties million per year. So if they don't sign DeMarcus Lawrence, I think that means that they're planning to build around Dak, but there would be a lot of disappointed people in Dallas if, if he's gone. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I personally, for me, I would build around DeMarcus. I would. And, you know, it's a, it goes back to the Rams with uh, Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue. If you can have mm-hmm. two, you can just see, see what they're doing right now. And they've kind of, you know, it'd be interesting to see if, you know, the rest of the league catches on to it, having two powerful, powerful top 10, you know, defense alignment in the league. I mean, if you can get that on a team, on a defense, you know, it'd be crazy. So, I mean, it'd be awesome to see the Cowboys, you know, really, really bring someone else in and help DeMarcus out. Because if there's another guy on the right side that's helping him out, poof, game over. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a good point to bring up that strategy because although the Bears lost this year on the you know the infamous missed field goal, but their defensive front line with Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and uh, others were was unbelievable this year, and they were able to mm-hmm. skate to a good playoff position in a tough NFC with uh, Mitch Trubisky, who everyone acknowledges he's okay, but he's not the best quarterback in the world. Right, right. Caleb, you have some news about Cam Newton. What do you have on that? Yeah, as a Cam Newton, pretty avid Cam Newton fan over the last few years. We saw this year that the Panthers started out 6-2, and two and they were, they were rolling. And all of a sudden, I think we saw eight, would you say eight losses in a row, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I think he lost his last six. They started out 6-2, and two, yep, and by the time and he was done, they were officially eliminated from the playoffs, and yeah. there was a couple of games left. So they, yeah, they started out, they were winning their division, and it looked like they were clear favorites to – win the division at the end of the season and and now we're hearing reports that well first in the season end we heard Cam Newton they might have the potential of sitting him out for a whole year like the whole Andrew Luck situation because of his shoulder and then we heard more reports of how he wasn't feeling very his shoulder didn't feel very strong when he was making throws he couldn't follow through so those were the first reports we're hearing but now it's a little bit better news that he just had the surgery and the doctors and medical staff have said that you can predict right now that he'll be back throwing for OTAs before the 2019 season starts. So that's good news if you're a Carolina fan, but uh, it's also not positive because we're still many months out from that estimate being accurate. Yep. And, uh, and Andrew Luck, he was up until, like you said, OTAs, he was planning on coming back, not this year, but the year before. And then, he tweaked it right before the season started right. and they decided to about halfway through shut the year just again. to say, let's just shut him down. And he came out this yep. year and he was after the first couple of games, he was terrific the rest of the year. So right. maybe thinking long-term, it might be better to let him sit out, but obviously right. the league in general would benefit from having one of the best players on the field. Right. Correct. Carolina Crazy news. how uh, all this, all this medical, all these surgeons and all these doctors over the, last real five years we're just seeing crazy advances i mean he had a crazy you know injury to his shoulder same with andrew luck i mean andrew luck had one hell of a season this year to come to come back from that and uh i think that's pretty cool caleb that you you got that news about cammy obviously you wrote a handwritten note to him right saying thank you for everything you're doing 
<laughs> yes. NBA. Rico, I know you're the the biggest James Harden fan in the world. So uh, do you want to just oh talk about God. how great he is for a minute? Uh, I I can't even say his name, Jeff, just because <laughs> of how 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 true your last sentence was. Yeah, I'll take the lead on that. Uh, Harden, he's been. Uh, I hate to admit it, but he's been absolutely phenomenal recently. He's on the longest 30-point streak since Wilt Chamberlain, I believe. And even in games where he's absolutely terrible, he's still somehow able to put up 30 points. Uh, The other night, he put up 35, and he was 15 of 15 from the line. I think he was like 9 of 26 from the field. But the biggest thing that he's been doing, which is really notable, is that he's been putting up close to 23 pointers a game. I mean, he tied the Knicks record for an opponent at Madison Square Garden with 61 points last week, and he shot 23s, and he only made five of them. So I guess uh, shooters shoot, and you can't hold that against him. Uh, if you put up 61 points in a game, you're probably playing pretty well. But James Harden, his game is basically get to the line, and if you get to the line enough, people will sag off, and that you'll be able to get open shots, and then when you get open shots, take them. And without Chris Ball, he hasn't had to share the ball. Speaking of that, I heard that Chris Paul is coming back today. So let's see if he can uh, keep this going at, with Chris Paul back. They don't need Chris Paul. They should trade him. James Harden is doing something amazing. <laughs> you think that uh, you think that they could they could uh, they should get off that contract that Chris Paul has? I think he's making about forty million a year. Games. They're winning yeah. games. That's a great point. They just picked up Kenneth Fareed. Yes, and That's Kenneth amazing. Reed has been. Kenneth Reed has been. Oh my God, I love I love his game, and he has been just an absolute, just a, a ball of energy for him. I mean, James Harden said it. He said James, uh, Kenneth Reed is exactly what we needed, and it was energy. Animal. And um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's just up and down the court, plain and simple, and he's just he brings people to the middle, and James Harden is able to stay. You know, open out in the. He's like a him and Clint Capella kind of play similar games. Just kind of Reed is just kind of two steps more uh, aggressive. Yep. It's uh, yeah. I mean, Chris Paul definitely is one of the greatest players in the game right now. But I mean, James Harden, what he's doing. I mean, he's. I mean, Vegas. Vegas right now is putting odds on him on how many points he can score. Like, I mean, how many? Like, who does that? Nobody. You. I've never yeah. heard oh, of that before. That's crazy. Oh yeah, and I know that uh, the part of the interruption on ESPN. Uh, each of the last couple of games that he's played, they've said over under 50 points going into the game. So he had 57 and then 58 and then 61 all within about a week, week and a half. So that's pretty yeah. incredible. And I'm glad you brought up Kenneth Fareed because Caleb has been, that's been one of his favorite players for a long time. And we've always talked about how when he's on a good team, he's awesome. When he's on a bad team, which you've seen recently, it's, it's hard to bring that energy every night knowing that you're not going to win or knowing that you're not going to get the minutes that you should be getting. But if you know that you have a chance to win a championship and all you got to do is hustle. And that's the best thing that he can do for the team is hustle, play hard defense, crash the boards and put it back. Then you're seeing what you're seeing right now, which is an awesome NBA player. Mm -hmm. Uh, So speaking of you brought up Chris Paul and the, the not the possibility that he'd be traded, but maybe that's uh, your recommendation, which I think it makes a lot of sense given his huge contract. The trade deadline is approaching, and there are some big names on the trading block reportedly. So Memphis came out and they said 
that Mike Connolly and Marcus Saul are both on the trading block. And oddly enough, uh, Mike Connolly spoke publicly about that and confirmed that he's on the trading block. So sounds like he's really someone who's looking to leave. They opened the gates starting the year. They were the number one seed through the first couple of weeks, and they've totally fallen apart. And they're aging, and both those guys are going to be making 30 and $40 million. So I don't know if those are movable contracts, but I think that they're trying to get them to move. Do uh, either of you guys have any destinations you think that those guys would fit well that could actually happen? So I guess in today's league, I mean, we're talking a max contract now. A player can make forty plus million dollars a year. So twenty-five is not that much. I think another team can acquire. I think a trade could definitely happen for Marcus All at least, because they could get a big uh, center that can score the ball, good shooter, and one of the best passing big men in the league still at the center position. But Mike Conley, on the other hand, I don't know. If I was a team, if I would want to spend $40 million on him or mm-hmm. what you're getting stats-wise from Mike Conley. Yeah, he is. I believe he's never had a technical foul like in his whole career. So he is a, he's a professional, and he's a great locker room presence. I'm talk, speaking of Mike Conley. And he, a lot of teams like what he does on the court. Uh, he gets about 17 points a game, and he's a really good defender. The only problem – besides his contract, which is definitely a problem, is that he usually misses about 20 games a year. And uh, you can basically just pencil that in. So I think there will be a lot of teams that are cautious with taking him on. But I think you see teams that are uh, the Indiana Pacers that are in good playoff seating, that they just lost Oladipo for the year. And they don't really have a great point guard. They have Darren Collison and they have Tyreek Evans on their team. But I think that they're looking to acquire a point guard Maybe if it's not Mike Connolly, they might uh, take a swing at Kemba Walker, but that would be a, a big load to get him. But uh, I think Mike Connolly could go to the Pacers, and I think the Pelicans have to decide right now, are they going to ride this thing out and try to offer the Supermax to Anthony Davis, or are they going to try to keep him around? Because if they are trying to keep him around, then they need to add something around him to prove that they're going to try to win. So I think that he, they're in play for Mike Connolly as well. But I personally, I probably wouldn't take on his contract, though. Yeah. What's So what's sitting on the table with uh, Connolly and Gasol? Is is that is it $50 million? About about 60 between the two, I believe. 55. Okay. Yeah, so about, about $55 million. You know, like you said, age and penciling in games that they're not, you know, they miss – they only play 60 games a year, like you said. And I don't know. I think that the NBA is just – it's so fast and volatile now. It is – you know, younger players are coming in and they're actually – you know, they're actually creating some chaos for teams. Like they're – the Knicks with Knox, I mean, they're thinking about building a team around him, you know, with Przingis, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's a good young core. I like that group. Yeah, me as – I know you like the Knicks, Caleb. Um, and so, you know, with Gasol and with, uh, Conley, I mean, if you're, if you're the Grizzlies, I mean, they may, they may lead to picks, you know, which is overall, if you want to rebuild, which the coach and the, and the management have been talking about, I mean, that's a great opportunity for other teams to pick up, um, and, you know, get some nice picks for them, but we'll see. So it sounds like if, if there's a deal for these guys, which I think I, I agree with where you're going with this is that to make the contracts work they would probably be trading for 
someone who's a really bad contract absorb that contract and receive some some draft compensation because otherwise you're not going to get even talent uh at the price tags that they're at uh no team's going to want to absorb those contracts so moving moving on to other rumors uh anthony davis there's been all kinds of rumors about anthony davis this year about possibly going to boston in the future going to the lakers the thing is he has another year he's under contract for another year so they don't need to trade him. They don't have to worry about him walking away in free agency this upcoming offseason. But they have the ability to offer him a Supermax contract, which is over $200 million. You see a handful of players have gotten that, and it's crazy money. It's the $40 million per year. So they're going to offer him that. If he doesn't take it, then they lose a lot of leverage. And basically, flat out says, I'm not coming back, and they lose a, a big trade trip. So they basically – they. If they want to get the most value for Anthony Davis, they're going to trade him now. But do you guys see them trading him? Because that's that's a bold move to to trade him and basically call it quits. But it might be the smartest thing to do. I'd like to see him end up in a Knicks uniform. Would that have to be through free agency? I think the Knicks have they have plenty of money to use up. They have no max contracts right now, so they have plenty of money to go and acquire Davis when free agency comes. Do you oh, think that the yeah. Pelicans are going to? actually trade him right now or do you think they're going to ride it out i think one factor is that the the boston factor that boston has a lot of young prospects and to acquire him right now they would have to actually trade kyrie irving because of the rose rule contracts it's it's kind of stupid but because they they both got these higher than usual contracts uh they're not allowed to have two people with the same style contract on the same team so once kyrie possibly re-ups this year if he does they could trade for Davis without including him in a deal. So they likely won't put their best offer forward until the off season. So I think all in all, that'll cause them to wait. Yeah. I think there's two things here. There's two. Uh, I would love to see Anthony Davis leave. I don't think that this should even be a conversation. If you're any type of organization, the second Anthony Davis came into a, into the league, he should have, you know, someone should have started building around him and the New Orleans Pelicans just did an awful job about that. They, you know, never should have brought Boogie in. Um, I think they should have brought yeah, a, a younger core to spread spread the floor and give Anthony Davis the ball. I mean, it's – I mean, just you could play Anthony – you could have Anthony Davis play like LeBron in theory, you know. That's all, mm-hmm. all you really need. And um, I think it speaks on the Pelicans organization. I think they should be shamed for what they've done, and they this shouldn't even be a conversation. Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis should be locked in for his career in some place. And um, – you know, building yeah. building around him. So bring him to Boston. Absolutely, we'll give you whoever the heck you want. We can build around him, no matter what. We've shown that in the past. We can build around anybody and everyone. So bring him to Boston, and and we'll grind it out. We'll go to some more games. Huh? It's unfortunate that through his twenties, his best years. I mean, his best years in the NBA. He's been on a team that can't make any deep rides into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If you have a talent like that, you should come battling in a seven-game series, and we have yet to be able to see a real playoff threat from the pelicans and bringing that up i think the the league and adam silver would really like to see him go somewhere else where he can go on a team make a deep playoff run that's marketable because what's going on for this long in new orleans is is a little pathetic like you said jeremy they they should be shamed because three four years ago when they made the eight seed basically said everybody was saying oh they're the next up and they have not improved since then and every time they build something it gets torn down they were building something with cousins and rondo and they couldn't re-sign either of those players and they are 
not that many games out of the eight seed right now, but they are on the outside looking in. And with Anthony Davis, if your goal is to barely make it into the playoffs, then you're, you're already doing it wrong. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think you, when you brought up Adam Silver, that is a huge point because when you think of Anthony Davis up here for us in New England, and I'm sure it's like this across the country, we don't even see any of their games. We don't, mm. they're, not on, they're, not, they're not televised. Anthony Davis should be on the television every single day. Absolutely no questions asked. He should be talked about. He's putting up amazing numbers, you know, as it is. But, I mean, they just don't get talked about. He's at, he's, oh, yeah, if he goes to 25 plus. Yeah, I think he's averaging 29 points and 13 rebounds right now. And like you said, nobody's even seeing it happen. <laughs> That's crazy. Exactly, insane. No, and no one's buying his jerseys. No one's buying his memorabilia. So you're right. The NBA yeah. does want him to believe, I bet. And I bet you will see it soon. All right. I, I like that. And I think that's, a, that's enough on the NBA. Uh, we'll close this with some good main news. Jeremy, you want to talk about this? Yeah, sure. So one of the more exciting things for Maine right now is uh, Nick Mayo. He went to Meslonsky High School, which is in Oakland, Maine. Um, was an absolute stud there. Got the buzz around about him playing basketball and got a full scholarship down at um, EKU. And so he's a senior now there uh, for the Colonels. And he's ever since he started there as a freshman, he didn't redshirt. He started right as a freshman, 31 games, averaged 15 and five actually points and rebounds first year. And it's just been a steady growth since. And he's averaging 23 now. He just scored a couple games ago his 2000th point for EKU in the OVC, Ohio Valley Conference. And he's got all team, all OVC, all team OVC every single year. Um, so far, expected to this year as well. He's number one and number two in scoring in the OVC. Uh, he's going with uh, Morant from Moorhead State. He, you see him on ESPN all the time throwing up, you know, yams and dunks and stuff. And he's hitting buzzer beaters. He's getting on, you know, top plays and everything. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him next year. If he, I know he's already getting calls from overseas, but um, we'll see if he starts getting some calls from, from yeah. the league. So it'll be really fun to watch. It's always good to see someone in Maine uh, performing on a national stage. Oh, my gosh, yeah, absolutely national. I mean, he just passed. He's number 12 right now or number 11 um, in all OVC scoring. Uh, he just passed wow. Isaiah Cannon, who uh, played in the NBA, you know, here and there, played for the Phoenix Suns and in the G League and such. So, um, you know, it would be really cool, actually, if he comes back to Maine, he may play for the Red Claws and, uh, you know, start developing there and get into the league. Cool. I think maybe, he, you know, I think he needs to get a little stronger, a little quicker. But, um, I mean, he is playing three, four minutes a game right now. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's great. Wow. That's a lot of run. Maybe we can get him on for next week, guys. Yeah, so, yeah, we'll see so, if that can happen. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, regardless, Jeremy, we'll, uh, we'll have to have you back on at some point. This has, been, this has been great. For all you people listening out there, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I hope you guys come back. And this has been the All Things Good Sports Podcast. This is Jeff checking out. Peace out from Rico. Thanks for having me, boys. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you.